Welcome back to another episode of the Church Tech and Leadership Podcast. Our goal is to help you create quality experiences that help people engage with Jesus. Um, if you would, uh, if this helps you out, go ahead and share it. Uh, leave us a rating or even a review, um, and that helps us out too. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Esslinger, and I'm joined again by my good friends, Ian Springer and Will Scott. How's it going, guys? Great. Fantastic. Awesome. So today we are talking about uh, preparation and rehearsal. And yes, those are two different things. Um, Preparation is what you do to kind of prepare your individual self or prepare things for your team um, to get ready for an event. And then rehearsal is kind of that step where we see how it all comes together. Um, I had a high school band director that put it as uh, preparation or practice is something you do on your own and rehearsal is where we learn how all the parts fit together. Um, so anyway, so, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is why does it matter? So what do you think guys, why does preparation matter and why does rehearsal matter? Well, I, you know, I, I think everybody can agree that it's important when you actually go to do your event that you kind of look like, you know what you're doing. Um, (laughs) the, I mean, it's, it, you, you want to be able to create a good experience for your people that are that are going to show up, right? And you don't want to create this experience where, like, you're, you know, your Sunday morning starting multiple minutes late because people couldn't find their music, and then, you know, you open up and the guitar player's playing in the wrong key and is missing notes, and it just doesn't sound good. No, you know, if... The, the experience for your people is going to be, well, you know, the, that was bad. Why I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think there's a um, direct correlation between the amount of preparation and rehearsal that you do compared to the experience that people experience. And the, the hard part about this is how do you measure your experience like how do you uh, you know what does a win look like uh, with your team and uh, making sure that's clear so that you know oh yeah okay that's we need to put more rehearsal or we need to we need to adjust so that we have enough preparation um, or especially for your individual role like if you're an audio guy or a lighting guy or something like that then making sure that oh that cue didn't quite fire the way that I wanted it to and so that well it basically works in the moment so just like ian said the experience is good for the people coming in the room because that's that's what it's all about that's what it's all about (laughs) yeah i think i think the biggest thing comes down to um do you does everybody in the room and everybody that's a part of what's going on have uh have an understanding of what it is you're trying to do and so the biggest piece of it is really communication um does everybody know what they need to do? Um, and then, you know, there's a, often a skill piece associated with it. So have they had time to either, uh, make sure the skill is, is ready or, um, you know, make sure the equipment is ready. Um, you know, that combination of the two. So it's definitely, um, an important thing. If, if you're going to take this seriously, you've got to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. So let's go into um, how to prepare uh, for a given event. And we're going to look at this from kind of each of the 
major disciplines. Um, so uh, given that at some point in our lives, we've all been musicians that have played on stages and things like that. Well, we can, we can start there. Um, so as a musician, how would you prepare for an event? As a musician? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is getting the whatever you know the arrangement whether you're playing like the album version of a song or your your md or your worship pastor wants to do a different arrangement like get whatever that arrangement is and practice that arrangement so that you know when when you get up on stage and it's it's go time you got to play this song the the muscle memory that you have is tuned for um, for playing that specific arrangement. Even if you've played the the song before, you know I I've, I've probably played Happy Day on a stage twenty or thirty times in my life. I know how to play the song, but different worship leaders like to have different arrangements that they do sometimes. And so, if you're used to you know always playing the chorus twice after verse two and you're playing with somebody who wants to go right into a bridge, that's the spot where you're most likely to make a mistake. And so you want to practice to, you want to practice that potential out of your, uh, your muscle memory. I think for musicians, for all of us really, but as, as everybody kind of starts improving as a musician, um, you know, in the beginning, there is a lot of practice and then you start to reach these points where you're like, hey, I feel like I'm actually making progress. And there is some point, um, and I think pretty much everybody goes through it, where they get this feeling of, well, I'm good enough to not have to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point when you actually get good is when you realize how untrue that is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I've heard this quote that um, amateurs practice until they get it right and professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, I know for me, there were, there were points where I was like, ah, you know, I've played these songs before. I don't need to prepare for them this particular time. Cause I have previously. And, and the reality is either the arrangement might be different. Something about the song is different, or I just need a refresher on all the little details. Um, because the reality is, you know, as a, as a guitar player, maybe I can play all the, all the cool lead lines that pop out of the song and everybody recognizes, but that's not the most important part of the song. The most important part of the song is how does my part add to what's going on, um, throughout the whole song. So getting all the notes right and in the right places is really a big deal. Right. And it, you know, you don't want to be, nobody wants to hear you missing notes through all of the non-cool parts because that makes the song very uncool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even a huge part of that is if you don't know your parts, you're going to be so busy focused on yourself, you're not going to be able to hear what else is going on. And that's one of the things, especially today, uh, musicians, like they're, a lot of musicians will just listen to themselves and they don't understand, oh, actually what I, you know, my, my guitar part is cra- clashing with the keys part. Like we're kind of in the same sonic range. And, and because he listened to one arrangement and I listened to a different one and it's, it's like, no, you gotta, if you practice, you know, your parts and you have the comfort and flexibility and peace of mind knowing that you can play your part and you can focus more on the rehearsal, which is the experience. This is, it's not about your part. It's about 
how everything fits together. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, cool. So, as a audio guy, how do you prepare for an event? Listen to the music over and over and over. Oh my goodness, audio guys! I, I think audio guys are a unique tribe because we're a blend of like artistry and technology. And we get caught up in the technology so easily that we lose sight of the artistry. And you gotta, you gotta play a sound console like you play an instrument. You gotta know what everything does, but you also have to know what's going on in the moment. So that oh, here comes this guitar hook, gotta push it, or hey, this bass line needs, uh, you know, it needs to be a little bit punchier for this song. So I need to, you know. I need to change those compressor settings or add in a little saturation or something like that, that kind of gets it to pop, you know, or, Hey, you know, the having two mics on the kick drum so that you've got, you know, inside kick mic, outside kick mic, one of them sound beefier so that you can have a punchier kick in this song and not, not so much in that song. And like, you've got to, you've got to ride the faders. Like you're like, like the musicians prepare for the music, got to know what's coming and then hit your cues. Yeah, I often in training will talk about how uh, the mixer is very similar to a piano, meaning you need your fingers on the keys mm. um, or on the faders. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That that um, especially. So, what's the most important piece in um, when when you're performing live? What's the most important thing? Like uh, of all the instrumentations, is it is it the snare drum? Is it the lead guitar? It's like what what's the most important thing? The most important thing is definitely the lead vocal. Lead vocal. Chris, <laughs> you nailed it, my man. Your fingers, as a sound guy, your fingers never leave that lead vocal thing because that you never know what's like. It's a live performance. You, you got to be able to ride the experience. And, you know, especially with inexperienced vocalists, uh, if you've got some younger folks up there, um, the you can't just trust you know just oh i'm just going to dial up the compressor and let the compressor do all the work that's not going to sound good you've got to give them enough room to breathe and then just you keep your hand on that lead vocal the whole time and if it switches songs and so does your hand yeah yeah um definitely agree with all of that and then on top of that um you kind of hit on it was you need to know both the music and what it is that we're actually going for or what you want to hear and the equipment, how do I actually make that possible? Um, and unfortunately what we see a lot is people really know the equipment side, but they don't really know, okay, I know what it does, but why do I want to use that knob? Why do I want to make it do that? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's definitely a both and thing. So preparation for audio is, is so much, yes, listen to the music, and also listening to um, what things do, you know, just because you heard somebody say one time, oh, compression setting sounds good at three to one and so many dB of reduction and whatever attack and release settings, like you need to really know what those things do. You need to hear audibly what they do. So um, one tool that I definitely always recommend is virtual sound check for preparation and rehearsal um, because uh, you know, it really allows you to learn and get in the nitty gritty of what each tool does with nobody else in the room. 
And then on top of that, you know, once the band has done their rehearsal and you've got it recorded, you can then go back and rehearse your portion of it. You can go back and, and make sure that, you know, you know where all your cues are, you know how the arrangement is and what changes you need to make throughout the song so that you can really dial in a really nice mix. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the things you, you really hit on a good point there, Chris, with, um, like understanding what the tools do is, is huge. And I almost think there's an act like you have to build in learning time. Like learning should be part of your preparation, um, especially because let's be honest, audio consoles are, they're pretty complicated. Even the simple ones, there's a lot of features that you can do even on a simple console. And, um, you, you have to understand what, what are all the effects? Like, let's say your MD wants to do a feature song that's from the seventies and it's got some pretty wild slap delays going on or, you know, something very different, something that you don't really use on a regular Sunday. And you, you, you gotta know, okay, let's dial those in. Let's tweak those things. Let's, let's see what it sounds like in the room and play with it. And that, and that's the thing, like you don't have to wait until you're doing the song. Like you can just play with it. It's just, it's kind of like for, with virtual soundcheck, you could have playtime. I mean, absolutely make sure you know how that, that weekend set's going to dial in. But at the same time, okay, Hey, what, what does it sound like if I do put a, put a, uh, you know, a, a phaser on, on the lead vocal. What does it sound like? Uh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend it, but it helps you understand. It's, it's like putting tools in your toolbox yeah. so that when the time comes, you can lean on it. Like, Oh, I can reach for that thing and use it, uh, and, and keep it fresh. Um, something else I want to mention real quick is understanding, uh, you had mentioned understanding the, the technology and that's also huge for troubleshooting. And like, there's nothing worse than having the band wait on you as an audio guy because something isn't working and you, you got to have things organized. You got to know where your signal paths so that if there's a problem, um, you can fix it pretty quick. Um, it was, it was really funny this past week we were, I was doing some recording and the, I, I was patching some playback stuff and I totally patched the monitor in the wrong place. And it was like instant feedback. And it was, and of course the musicians were in the room and like, it was blaring and super embarrassing for me, but, uh, it was also kind of a, like a funny reminder for me that, Hey, you know, we're sometimes you're, you're still gonna, you don't, you don't know everything there's to know. There's still a lot to learn. Uh, and I think having an attitude of a life, a lifelong student, uh, that's going to help you go a long way. Cause otherwise you're just going to get frustrated with yourself, but there's always something to learn and technology is always changing. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you hit something really, really good there on, um, making sure that you, you know where your stuff is because it's not a matter of if something is going to come up at the last minute, because it is, uh, it's more a matter of how, how prepared are you to handle it? And so is your, um, and this is for any discipline, is your stuff organized in such a way that you can quickly grab the tool you need in the moment when something comes up? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, anybody can organize stuff, but knowing, okay, if X happens, I'm going to need to reach for Y, and it, so it needs to be at this location. Mm -hmm. uh, that comes with experience. <clears throat> you know, one other thing, um, 
just jump back for uh, a split second here um, is for the musicians. I would say it's also also equally important that uh, that they know the equipment that they're using, um, whether it's a guitar player knowing what his pedals and amps do, um, a keyboard player knowing how to get whatever sound it is they need out of the keyboard. Um, and trust me, those things are about the most complicated thing on the planet. Um, <laughs> I, I swear you need a, a rocket science degree to understand how to work a keyboard. Right, Ian? Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. True. Uh, Ian's a keyboard player. So, um, uh, but yeah, it, it is so crucial that you know how all of those pieces work. Um, drummers, you need to know what heads, what different heads do, and absolutely how to tune how them. To tune them. <laughs> you need to learn how to tune your drums. Um, I'd even say audio guys. Like, yes, audio guys learn how to tune drums. Yes. I mean, drum sound is. Yeah, depending on the song, it's pretty important. Minimally, it means you can talk to a drummer about things that may yes. may or may not need changed. I'm and not saying trust. you have to do it all the time. There's but. trust that exists when you start. They realize, oh, you do know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, there's if you know, audio guys spend time learning the the musician stuff. Yeah. Cool. Let's jump into video. Um, how do you prepare for an event? with video yeah so really like i feel like the success or the failure of your event is almost more dependent on um on preparation in in video than what it is in um in in audio because like with audio you can just kind of go faders up and and you know be good ish um not <laughs> at least be, be functional. Yeah, <laughs> like there's going to be there's going to be sound coming out of out of your PA, but most of the time on the video side, like if you're if you ha- don't have ki- a kind of a general plan for what kind of camera shots you need and you haven't you haven't taken the time to get your camera operators on board with that um or if you're doing a really complex event maybe you've even put together a shot list if you haven't done some of that kind of stuff and you're having to yell out overcome oh i'd pick up that guy that just walked out on stage like that it's it's going to look bad and people aren't going to enjoy an experience where they can't see what's happening um so that's the uh you know when when I'm going through the process of preparing for an event on the video side, I'm looking at what's happening on stage. Who's on stage? Where are they? Um, I need to get with the LD and make sure that they're going to be lit when I need them to be lit. Because for video, you know, uh, something important is that your subject needs to be lit before they need to be on camera. Because um, if you've got a dark stage and a pastor who's getting up to talk um, and there's no lights on him, if he starts talking, your your camera guys can't pick up a shot when they can't see the guy that they're trying to, uh, to set up a shot on. And so you've got to get with the LD and say, hey, you know, we need to make sure this guy's going to be lit up over here. You need to get with the, the worship leader or the MD or whoever and figure out what's the blocking of people going to be on stage. Like, you know, is someone going to come down out of the uh, off of the stage and walk out into the crowd? 
you know, you might need to get a shot of that. Uh, that's, I used to work with a, a pastor who he loved to walk out of the stage and just kind of walk around among the congregation. And you had to find a way to, to keep uh, him on camera when he was doing that. And so um, then you got to get with your, your camera ops and say, hey, here's, here's kind of the stuff I, I need you to pick up. And if, if you can, like show them. If, if you're on comm having to say, hey, all right, I need you to zoom in. Yep, zoom in a little bit more. Okay, tilt up a little bit, tilt up, pan left, get center him up. Yep, okay, great. Now we can take that shot. That's, you know, your, the, the, the pacing of your, your show is going to be a lot slower than what you probably want it to be. And so if you can communicate that out to all of your camera operators um, ahead of time, then it's, you know, you don't have to deal with that. You can just bounce from one shot to another. And when stuff starts happening on stage, your camera team knows what it is that you need and they'll have the shot for you even before you've asked for it. Ian, what do you think about um, shot lists? I mean, we kind of hear extremes from just, you know, going in with, oh yeah, we've got the plan you know, the plan for the service. And that's kind of all we need to, you know, every single shot being planned out with exact timing and all that kind of stuff. And I think both of those have their issues. So, so what are your thoughts on some of those things? Well, so it's, you know, maybe you don't need it every single weekend. You probably don't, but if you're doing a a special kind of an event, like, like um, with, I've seen this with drama groups or, you know, theater groups, that kind of thing, where there's specific people that are talking at a specific time, and you want to make sure that you have the shot you need when they start speaking, that's where shot lists come into play. Because you can have an assistant director calling out, okay, we need shot five and shot six, according to a script. But the only way that really works is is if the other disciplines have a script, have their stuff scripted out too, because otherwise um, it's, it's not going to work. You can't someone, if, if, um, if your musicians are just kind of um, changing up what, what they're doing on stage as they go and your pat or, and or your pastor is not reading off a teleprompter, which hopefully isn't, always the case um your your shot list starts to become less and less meaningful because you need more and more flexibility to be able to uh to to make changes on the fly so shot list can be really helpful in specific circumstances but um i would take a well trained well prepped camera crew over a crew that only can rely on a shot list and anything that happens outside of that shot list, they, they don't know what to do. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there. Um, so I, I, I think too, that it's important, um, for camera folks to, you know, as, as they prepare and as they rehearse to be familiar with their location and what shots they can get. Um, because as you said, if, if it's not a full shot list, um, it's kind of hard to rely on the director to c- tell every camera guy exactly what shot he needs to get before he gets there because it's going to slow down your pacing. So I think a lot of that is on the camera guy to know, you know, okay, w- 
with with the framing I have, with the location I'm in, what shots can I get that look good and kind of know what they can jump between and, and give the director some good stuff. Right. And, and, you know, feel if, if you are a camera guy or you're training camera people, they need to feel like they can explore the space as much as possible whenever they're not live. Um, it's the, the best camera guys you, that, that I see are always, if, if they're not live, they're constantly hunting for a shot and they'll, they'll pick something. And if, if it's not working out or, or the director doesn't go with it, they'll jump to another shot after 10 or 15 seconds. And just, just, you know, throughout the entire event, that's what they're doing. Um, and though that's, that's what you want to try and strive for. Cause then you're making it, if you're, if you're doing that, you're tracking whatever's happening on, on stage, whether it's like, you know, um, what's happening musically, like you're keeping up with a guitar solo or when the leader starts singing and that kind of stuff, you're giving your director what he needs to work with so that um, he doesn't have to, to spend as much time worrying about, okay, what's, what's coming up next? Am I going to be able to, do it, to get it or not? Um, or having to call out specific things because he knows that, that the camera guys are going to have his back. Yeah, I, I would say if the director has to tell the camera guys, hey, I need that guitar solo, it's already too late. Because mm. it's not like, you know, when you were talking about your, your prep for, for audio and, you know, we're going to talk about lighting and some of that kind of stuff later. A lot of times there's one or maybe two or three people that are doing that. But with video, it's a lot more like a band where there's almost always more. Um, I just did an event recently where we had like 15 people on the video crew. And so I think prep becomes even more important because even though you've got 15 different people or 10 or five or however big your crew is, you all still have to be able to act as one cohesive unit. And so not only do you need to do your individual prep, but you also have to prep together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's jump on to lighting um, and talk about some preparation here. Uh, Will, do you have any thoughts? Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I think a lot of the lighting preparation is very similar and knowing what, what, what's going on with the music. But I think Ian really touched on an important part is the LD and the video, the video director need to get together and make sure that everything is working kind of at the same time. Cause if you don't have lights on subject, then you're not going to be able to see them on camera and, um, being able to catch those moments is, is super huge. But I know, uh, lighting is, it's there, there's kind of a balance and I think there's, well, there's a little bit of a balance in all of these things and, and balancing preparation with flexibility. Flexibility comes with, experience and understanding of how everything works together um, and preparation is is about knowing this is kind of what's on the plan but but you, you, you do have to hold both those things in your hand I think at the same time uh, I know our so our process we have uh, tracks 
uh, like a practice file that we send out to the musicians so they can practice to it so that we know what the arrangement is. There are cues in the file that tell you this is, this is a chorus, this is a verse. Um, that's, that's all MIDI stuff built into the tracks. It's pretty cool. And then uh, that way the lighting director knows, okay, he, he, he programs the lighting cues into the tracks file that we play back. And then we, we just mute the tracks in the house unless we want something in the house as far as audio. But it's our lighting cues are always on time. And actually, even that, uh, something we didn't talk about was uh, lyrics. Having lyrics on time is kind of a big deal, uh, especially if your lyrics are feeding confidence monitors for the singers and you have a singer who's a little iffy on um, how a certain verse goes or if you're doing a new song. Which they should have memorized. Which they should have memorized. Again, all the music, like we, we, we don't have music stands on our stage uh, on the weekend because it doesn't look great on video and we expect our music musicians to show up prepared same as everybody else so uh we i mean there there are a few kind of cheats that most people don't know about or they don't realize uh like if, if there's a, a bridge that's a little complicated or something um but most of the time everything is memorized and understood but all of our all of our lyrics also programmed to the tracks. So we kind of we hit go on the song and our lighting's on time, our lyrics are on time, and all that stuff integrates with ProPresenter. Um ProPresenter seven too. It's built in the MIDI um, oh gosh. I don't know, MIDI, MIDI module. Yes, you used to have to buy it, but that's now that's built into seven. And I mean, it's all network. It's all just computers talking to each other. It's it's pretty easy to set up, and uh, it's definitely worth the time. I know it's made our experience uh, a heck of a lot better in knowing all this automation is there, and it requires less people. We don't have someone, and, and I don't, again, I don't, this is how we do it. I don't necessarily recommend this, uh, but we don't have a guy behind the lighting console or behind the lyrics computer because of our automation, but that's, and I say that like that wasn't how it started. There was there was some time we had to build trust with the automation and understand how to troubleshoot. But there's I mean there's ways to make sure, and that's all preparation. Like that's all that stuff has to work, and that means spending time with the the weekend set before the weekend happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I would say too on on the automation side, um, it's it definitely requires a lot more preparation um, and you still need to rehearse through it um, when, when that's a tool you're using. Um, I would also throw out that there's some inherent risks with it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you, you know, hear about that and kind of go, Hey, I want to, I want to try this, please try it. Not during an event. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and work the bugs out. Cause there are going to be bugs. Um, you know, and there's also something to be said for just having more live operators. Mm-hmm. Um, so a person is always better than no person. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, um, you know, as we kind of transition over to talking about, uh, speaking roles a little bit, one thing I want to throw out, um, we've kind of sort of hit on it a couple times is making sure that we've communicated to, uh, the folks who are going to come out on stage and, and either speak or whether it's a host or they're praying or even the worship leader, not to start talking until the lights come up on them. (laughs) Um, Cause then, you know, everybody looks bad at that point. They look bad. Uh, It looks like somebody missed their cue, all that kind of stuff. I know for me, audio wise, um, 
I usually have a mic on a few seconds before the lights come up. Um, but if they start talking as they're walking out, uh, the mic's probably not going to be on. The lights aren't going to be up and everybody's going to go, where's the person that's talking right now? So, yeah, um, yeah that's just kind of a, a communication thing. Make sure that all those folks know, wait to start talking until you're at your spot and the lights come up. So, yeah. And I think there's, especially working with like uh, speakers or hosts, because occasionally we'll have like, a children's director or the student's minister come out and do like a welcome or talk about announcements and what, what's going on or things like that. Uh, working with them, like that's that they may not be somebody who's on stage super often. So they're probably going to be a little nervous. So part of preparation is what can I do to support them? How can I make sure that it's a win for them and for, for us and the, and the weekend experience so like, okay, can you, if you have a confidence monitor, can you load graphics or cues or speaking notes so that who, whoever's up there, they, you know, they get up there and the adrenaline's rushing, they're, you know, super nervous and all they can think about is when they were 12, year, 12 years old and had to do it in high school or, high, well, 12 years old in high school, okay, that not, that's not going to happen. But you know what I mean, like people, if if people are freaking out, you, you want to be able to, to support them and help them work through uh, the events and stuff like that. Yeah, I know the couple of times I've I've gotten up on stage to give announcements, I'm always what's going through my head is usually hoping that it comes out of my mouth the way that I planned it in my head. Um, yeah. But part of the trick with making that happen is actually getting up and doing it, whether it's with an empty room or or whatever. But you know, getting all of those settings as close to what they're going to be as possible. So that would be holding the mic, having the lights on, all that kind of stuff, and and actually practice it out loud. Um, because there's a big, a big difference between how you think through it, even as you're kind of sitting there picturing yourself giving whatever information or, or speaking or whatever it is. Um, and then when you actually go to do it, there's this massive difference. And so, um, it's definitely worth actually practice it. And I know, um, in some cultures that's really hard to do, um, people, feel awkward about it they feel like they don't need it whatever um but i've only ever seen it help um especially with hosts like like will said if people aren't comfortable doing it because they don't do it very often um but in reality i've I've also seen situations where um some really well-known um very large church pastors will actually give their entire message um to a small group of people before uh, the weekend and receive feedback and it does make them better. It's, it's the exact same thing as preparing as a musician preparing. I think, um, you know, just like with a musician, they reach a certain point where, Oh, I've done this enough now. I don't need to, don't need to practice in that way. And yet when you look at the professional musicians, they're spending even more time practicing. And so I would say the best speakers out there are also the ones that spend time giving themselves every opportunity for success. Absolutely. It's, um, your, if you have multiple services, your first service shouldn't feel like your practice. Um, it, it really frustrates me when, you know, you go talk, I've heard tech people say this. I've heard pastors say this where, they're like, yeah, you know, first service is kind of, you know, where our rehearsal is. And then the second service, you know, that's the one that's really good, you know. Or I've, I've talked to a number of pastors where they're like, yeah, my best sermon is, is the second one. And 
unless for some reason the people that show up at your first service are somehow less important if you if you know that you're the second time you give your sermon or the second time you you know your your second service your your video or your lighting they actually you know you hit most of your cues that time then that means that your first service is turning into your rehearsal and mm-hmm. you probably should be rehearsing more so that you can actually deliver uh, to your first service people what the the best that you can because those people are important too yeah absolutely I think there's um, an important like one of the hardest parts I, I know for us with rehearsals is transitions going from moment to moment from hosting spot to worship to announcements to video and trying to make the, those transition gaps or those those moments where there's dead space uh, as short as possible so that it feels like one seamless kind of experience. It's not chunky or clunky or it doesn't feel mechanical. And that's those are the kind of things you can't practice those. They have you have to build in time for for all those things during rehearsal. And by you know it, having your speaker kind of hit hit their points and it's like this is when this is when the pastor comes up and you have to do mic checks and make sure that everything works you have to do white balances to make sure cameras look good you have to you know adjust lighting if you need to or or tweak spots or even hey so and so didn't have their part prepared you know do we cut the song um those those are all the kinds of things that you have to figure out during rehearsal and building in time for rehearsal is super important yeah, definitely. So, so for each of us, kind of let's let's just hit what does a typical um, cycle of getting ready for an event look like? So, I know for me, um, it'll be looking at what what is the plan, um, what what all is actually going to happen, figuring out who's doing what in each piece of that, and then kind of you know starting to break down each detail of, okay, this is going to happen. And then how are we going to get from the first item to the second item? So how are we going to get from the opening song to the host moment? Um, how are we going to get from the host moment back into worship? Um, how are the lights going to transition so that there's not, you know, spinning and color wheel cycling? How are, um, you know, sound wise, how are we going to make sure there's not just this awkward dead space? Um, those sorts of things. Uh, so you start to think through all those things. And again, I've experienced those things go south, which means I know what to look for. And I think that's kind of a, an important note is that it takes experience and you're only going to get experience by doing these things um, to, to start you know, learning what things you need to watch out for and what things you need to prepare for. Um, And then as we get closer, you know, okay, what does everybody need for rehearsal and making sure that they have those things. Um, And so what I like to do is have, you know, a music rehearsal uh, at some point during uh, the week, hypothetically, we're preparing for a Sunday service. Um, So during the week, have have music rehearsal and then uh, probably uh, usually the day of do some kind of full run through of as many elements as you possibly can um, before the first service happens. Um, And that's, you know, really what allows us to work out all the bugs, make sure there aren't going to be any issues, and hopefully that goes smoothly. But if it didn't, 
then it doesn't happen during your first service like Will was saying. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think those are, those are the kind of big things for me um, to make sure that happen. Um, what do you guys think? What, what are some of the, the big key things in your world? For, um, so on the weekend, I'm, my primary responsibility is, is audio. And so I'm, I make sure wireless packs are labeled, channels are labeled. I want the musicians to be able to walk in and just be able to go. Like they can start tinkering. I know last week we, um, there was a bass player. He got there before I did. <laughs> it was like 6.30 in the morning and, and he's, he's out there waiting on me. And it's just like, all right, man, let's, all right, cool, let's do it. Um, but I want to I want to make it so that all I have to do is, well, all that he has to do is plug in and he can start kind of getting comfortable, getting cozy. Um, but that's, you know, everything is patched. Everything is, is ready. And that, that changes like that's that I've been doing this for a while uh, at, at the place that I'm at now. And there's a, a, I think a comfort or an understanding of, I know the systems, but if you're a new guy coming into a new system, then, okay, that's going to be a lot longer preparation time. And you might need to go through and do a line check midweek. Like, and line checks are kind of a pain in the butt because you might need two people. Well, it's, it's a heck of a lot easier if you have two people. But make sure signals going where it needs to. Make sure everything is routed the way it, it's supposed to. Uh, because every time, as important as virtual sound check is, which is it's a, an essential rehearsal tool for an audio guy, um, every time you do a virtual sound check, you're essentially repatching the console. So you got to make sure that when you go back to your live setting, that everything is patched right. And that, you know, that might be in Dante, that might be in, you know, whatever console software you're using. You got to make sure that everything is, is showing up where it needs to um, and test everything. Uh, our, um, our musicians use their phones to mix their in-ears for themselves and you got to make sure that okay is the wi-fi router working is you know does is there a software update that doesn't play nice with the console so you need to send out a communication to everybody that says hey guys hold off on this update um because it they're that you know the bugs aren't worked out yet or something like that i mean there's a lot of moving parts but uh, making sure everything's labeled and routed uh, and even playing with your effects like if you're doing a feature get your effects dialed in, you know, just grab a vocal mic or something and just make some noises in, in the microphone. I mean, you, you don't have to be Beyonce uh, as you're testing a microphone, trying to dial in your reverbs or your, your delays or something like that, but make sure everything is as close to ready as it can be so that the thing that you're missing are the musicians. And once they get here, it just kind of naturally flows. You're not running around with your head cut off um, trying to, fix problems that um, that arise yeah ian what do you think what are what are things you like to make sure you always do check your calm uh like calm is is usually really simple and it usually works but if it doesn't it, it it's really bad for your video people and and your lighting people if if they use calm uh, I always, uh, before showtime, make sure that, that, that your comm is working. Make sure that you've got 
um, labels on all your cameras that tell your operators what camera number they are. Um, especially so, some places like the, you know, you've got camera platforms and, and your camera people really don't ever move. And so it's easier, but in, in some, some environments I've been in, your camera positions can change week to week, depending on what's going on. And that can get confusing for your camera operators. You know, if you're calling out, take camera three and they think you're talking to camera four, um, that's you're you're gonna you're gonna have people doing like whip pans while they're live and nobody wants to see that so um, <laughs> not if you didn't plan it but yeah <laughs> or if you haven't practiced <laughs> yeah if if your video looks like a roller coaster and it's not supposed to that's that's not good um so you know if you have tally check that all of your cameras are tallying right um make sure you know that that all if you if that you've got signal coming into your switcher from um all of your video sources uh that's that's the stuff that that, that i like to take a look at because it's because it's it's the simple things like that like um that that will really just i, I aggravate people um if if you're in a church that that uses tally on your cameras and your pastor's used to looking for tally, um, it's it's frustrating if they're out if they're hunting for for tally to see which camera to talk to and uh, they can't find it. Um, it's frustrating for your camera people if they don't know what um, what camera the number they are. If they're having to like ask you in the middle of the show. Um, <laughs> The uh, the other another thing that's that's really helpful is if you've got like sometimes some places you you know you might have a specific focal length that you want for your preaching shot or if you've got a, a teaching monitor on stage um, you might have a specific shot that you want for that and an easy way to help your camera guys get that is to slap a, a, a label on the back of your camera that shows the focal lengths for different things. So a lot of times I'll, I'll put, you know, a piece of white gaff or a label maker if I've got a little bit more time that's like, you know, camera four, um, preach shot is 250 millimeters or whatever. And that goes a long way. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's it. That's, that's kind of what I run through. Yeah, I would definitely add into that as you do your uh, training for your various folks, which you need to do training. If you need help with that, give us a call. We can help you out. As you do your training, uh, make sure that um, you've taught all your folks how to come in and check their station before they start. Um, it, especially as it gets bigger and more complex, it gets harder for one or two people to make sure they've checked every little thing. Um, even with a list, it just starts to take a long time. And so uh, it's really important that each person knows how to come in and check their station when they come in and make sure they have all the things they need, have all the stuff they're supposed to have. And so there's a communication side there. There's a trust side there. Um, and, and it comes down to um, each person being willing to take on the responsibility for uh, their, their role um, being kind of the final step of, is my stuff ready? Do I have what I need? And that's all part of training. They, you need to teach them, you know, what are the things that I need to be looking for? Um, 
you know, yeah, have it a normal part of a Sunday morning too, or as you know, before run through, have all the camera guys hop on and go, yep, camera one, I'm on comm, camera two, I'm on comm. And that way the director can verify, yeah, all the comm is working and then they can run through their tally lights. And it's, it's a really quick process when everybody's at their station checking their stuff. Man, I think communication cannot be emphasized enough. Um, I'm a big proponent of over communicating and, uh, especially, uh, like when it comes to the music director and the new musicians, the audio guy needs to be in the loop so that he knows what the music director's thinking and what their vision is. Uh, something else we, uh, that I totally missed, uh, or, or forgot to talk about earlier was with, with virtual sound check, one of the nice things about that is, you know, if you're a mix engineer and you have a, um, like you come from a guitar background or, or a drummer, um, you're going to have a little bit of a propensity to push those things, um, because that's sort of the instrumentation that you come from. And you have to understand that that mix is not yours. It is something you're responsible for crafting, but it is not yours because you, you're very much, you're working with a team of people um, in creating the experience, and so the nice thing with virtual soundcheck is you can you can you can play a weekend back and sit down with your music director and and ask him, hey, you know, what it what do you think? And that and even trying to dial in like SPL levels and and those kinds of things, and and you know if there are people, the people who sign your paychecks, uh, they if they want to say in that process, then that's a good opportunity for for them to well for you to build trust with them and say yeah you know i really do care about what we're trying to do and i want to make sure that this product is ours it's not mine it's it's ours i'm the one responsible for it but uh having some feedback from the music director that's going to help him have context if he's dealing with complaints from people in the congregation so um so it's communication is it's totally worth it yeah yeah definitely uh, and I think that is a, a good point to, to wrap it up. So um, if this has impacted you or helped you, remember to share it with somebody that you think it would help out. Uh, leave a rating or review for us. Um, and as always, you can find more on the website. It's just my name, Chris Esslinger.com. Um, there are show notes there for the episodes. There's the blog, um, which has kind of some, some more technical thoughts on on how to do various things um, and then we also have uh, the consulting services if you'd like some specific help um, in your situation or as we mentioned earlier if you'd like help uh, with training um, that's kind of one of the, one of our big things so um, if you have a topic request or a question you can click the I have a question button on the podcast page on the website and that will be it thanks guys and